Nahu Mikey P here, first over without Edison Hatter. Uh, Edison busy doing a bunch of morning lines for Meadowlands Racing, three cards this weekend. So I have the show again, and we have a special guest this week, uh, two special guests actually. Uh, one of my favorite horse players, of course, I always introduce him. Uh, he is uh, assistant editor for Trot Magazine, John Rollis. Welcome. Thanks for having me on again, Mike. It should be a good show with another great guest. And we have one of the top trainers in Canada. Uh, has superstars every year, it seems. Uh, Nick Gallucci joining us. Uh, thank you very much for the invite, Mike. It's great to have you. Uh, and, and, you know, we've been trying to get more horsemen, drivers, trainers. Uh, we're going to try to have that theme here these next few podcasts. And it, it's great to kind of get some insight into you guys' thinking and your day-to-day, you know, plus we're going to actually look at some races here today also. Uh, we're going to cover the pick five for Saturday night, and that's uh, at Woodbine Mohawk Park. You can go to the website, get free programs, woodbine.com backslash Mohawk, free programs every night. We're also going to have a, a mandatory payout in the high five this weekend. So uh, that's the last race on Saturday night. There's almost 200,000. I think it's 187 in the carryover. So those are always big nights. But let's let's talk to Nick a little bit. And, and Nick, um, we know you as one of the top trainers in Canada, uh, especially at that top level at Woodbine Mohawk Park. Uh, talk a little bit about how you got started and, you know, what, what drove you to uh, choose harness racing as something that, you know, would be your career? Uh, well, I got started through my grandfather, uh, John Holmes. He, uh, he would always have uh, a couple horses on the side. He was a painter by trade, but got into horses uh, later in his life. And, uh, you know, I had a farm not too far from where I lived and uh, just kind of caught the bug, would always go to the farm with him and, uh, you know, enjoyed being around the horses. And then I got to, to where I started jogging and training and, uh, you know, it, it wasn't my first plan, but, uh, you know, university didn't work out for me. But, uh, yeah, I got into the horses and uh, haven't looked back since. I mean, you know, the college isn't for everybody necessarily, but, you know, you've proven that here you have an interest. And, and now you're at the absolute pinnacle, the top level. I mean, nominated for uh, O'Brien Awards, uh, working with some of the finest horses that, that can possibly, you know, be had. So, you know, that's college necessarily isn't everything. Yeah, for sure. Everybody's uh, got their own path they like to take, right? Uh, I'm sure my parents would have liked me to stay in school, but what can you do? You just got to, you know, take the punches as they come and, uh, you know, you got to be happy in life. And I enjoy training horses. So, and uh, especially working with the better horses made it a lot more uh, enjoyable overall. Nick, if you can um, talk us a little bit, like just about, so you got started and, when, what year did you get paired up with uh, George Millar and start uh, training for him? Uh, that would have been, uh, well, I first got introduced to George. I bought a horse from him and did quite well, uh, Burning Shore. I don't know if you guys remember that horse from a few years back. Um, I bought him in 2015, and uh, I called him to buy another. Like, I did quite well with that horse. Uh, the first horse I ever had went in 49. And a few years later, I called to buy another horse off him, uh, 2017, a horse called Secrecy. Uh, he's actually racing, I believe, at the Meadowlands more recently. I think he's yeah, he was in a, he was in a claim the other day, yeah. But uh, you know, I called to buy him as well, and uh, George decided to give him to me to train instead of letting me buy him. And uh, uh, you know, we win five of our first six races, and just kind of been rolling from there, and. Uh, I started training for him privately uh, towards the end of 2019. And, uh, yeah, we just seem to be having uh, a lot of luck with our younger horses. And just hopefully it continues. You know, with the young horses, you never know every year to year, right? You hope you get a good one every year, but it's a, it's a gamble. Uh, luckily, we have a lot of the same bloodlines through uh, a lot of his homebred. So uh, it seems like those have been carrying forward and giving us uh, good horses every year. Yeah, I mean, you've, you've been seeing the success every year. I mean, every year it just seems like you've got a, a, a talented horse or especially a talented filly at your disposal. And, I mean, I was speaking with George Millar for a, a breeder's piece that I was doing for for Trot in this coming issue. And, uh, 
he had great things to say about you. He was raving about uh, the way you train his horse. And, he, and what he said most that stood out to me is that you're always going to look out for the best interest of the horse, even though that sometimes he wants to race them or maybe that most people in, in uh, the situation that you guys are in would want to race them. But he said that you're always looking out for the best interest. So I thought that was pretty fascinating to hear. Um, and now, obviously, this time of year, you're pretty busy with, um, I guess, training up babies, right, and breaking them in a little bit. Yeah, training the babies and training back the uh, two-year-olds from last year that are coming three. So, you know, still pretty active in the barn, obviously not racing as much, but there's always uh, something that has to get looked after. And you always have minor problems uh, training down that you just have to be on top of all the time. And like you're saying, um, you know, with George especially, like um, he lets me, you know, decide when the horses are ready to train and when they're ready to race. And, you know, that's a big advantage having someone in your corner like that. Um, a lot of times you get owners that kind of want to dictate uh, what they want their trainers to do with the horses. And lucky for me, uh, George lets me dictate uh, the terms with the horses. So with the right now, how many babies would you say that you're training currently? Uh, we have 12 in the barn. Um, um, I think uh, we got 10 homebreds and then two Philly Pacers that we had bought in Harrisburg, a Better's Alight and a McWicked. Beautiful. Is there anyone that bit. you... Sorry, go ahead, John. So no, no, go ahead, go ahead. No, no, I was just gonna say they're a little bit uh, behind the 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 homebreds, but you know we'll try and catch up with them later in the year. Is there anyone that you've? Is there any progress that you've seen from anyone in particular, or is there one that you're excited about in particular come this summer? Uh, the one that uh, has impressed me the most so far would be uh, Prohibition Legal's full sister. Uh, her name's uh, This Magic Moment. Um, you know, very impressive so far. I mean, you don't really have an idea how good she's going to be, but she hasn't shown me any indication that she's not going to be uh, a talented filly. So very excited about her. Yeah, I mean, if she's anything like her sister, then, you know, then watch out, right? Yeah, that's what we're hoping for. And what about a filly that kind of took, um, was talked a lot about and, I mean, took on some Grand Circuit Company and obviously shown a lot of talent, will save the last dance. What can you tell us about her and how do you think that she'll be able to progress going into her three-year-old campaign uh well with her mostly it was uh just her aggressiveness in the races that held her back i think from being uh you know the next level horse that i was hoping she would be um yeah it just seemed like anything that wouldn't go her way in a race she would just fight the driver she'd fight me before a race like she's just uh very very aggressive philly if we can ever get her to settle down and uh not be as grabby in the races i think she uh you know she could she could progress to be, you know, like her sister, Silver Label, as a three-year-old. I'm hoping for anyway. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, obviously, all, she has all the tools, just needs uh, a little bit more mental strength. And, uh, you know, we should be in uh, good shape at that point. And what was it like for you this season? I mean, you kind of spoke about, I mean, you had the, the two-star fillies. You had Silver Label and Prohibition Legal, and they were obviously the cream of the crop. But then you had a, a third filly kind of emerge in Velvet Stinger. Kind of talk about that. And did you did you expect that kind of year from her this year? Because she um, competed indoors all season, right? Yeah, she had a great year. And, uh, yeah, like you said, it was very unexpected. Um, initially, we were going to breed her at the start of the year because she had been uh, – you know, not training very well down and, you know, she was ready to qualify. And I said to James, you know, just kind of go around with her, you know, keep her together and, you know, see what happens. But uh, she just hasn't really been putting her steps, uh, her feet down where she should. And she's throwing steps in, acting like she wants to make a break uh, pretty well the whole mile. And he said, yeah, okay. And actually he had another horse he was supposed to qualify in with her that day. I said, just go with the other horse. Like, I really don't think we're going to be able to race this horse this year. But he, he remembered her from the year before and how uh, gutsy she was. And, you know, luckily he stuck with her. And, uh, yeah, she just kind of progressed through the year, uh, made a couple minor adjustments, and it really seemed like it took her to the next level. She went so, from being a grassroots filly to you know, one of the top gold fillies towards the end of the year. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, that's another thing. It's, it's a pretty good problem to have now because you've got Silver Label, Prohibition Legal, Velvet Stinger, all four years old now. And, I mean, they, they could be overlapping racing against each other. It's a good pro It's a great problem to have. Don't get me wrong. It's just, that's a lot of talent in one division though. And yeah, I know. Absolutely. Uh, luckily it uh, looks like they need a lot of horses for that Phillies and mares open. So in a couple months, hopefully we can uh, do some damage in there with them. Yeah, it sure. seems like it with so much more racing against the boys every week. It just that doesn't really seem fair, even though she's got a class for herself to race. Anyway. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, but 
you know, the, the race office has to make the races competitive. So I understand the, the reasoning be, behind moving her up to the boys. And obviously she's shown uh, she can be very competitive in there. So works out well for everybody. So, well, go ahead, Mike. Oh, so uh, we're, we're talking about prohibition legal, but, you know, it seemed like at two, she was a, a monster. I mean, she won eight out of nine and she was just basically winning everything. And, and at three, she really kind of didn't quite have the season. I'm sure that you guys really wanted. Yeah, no, definitely not. Um, she had a couple ailments. Uh, she had uh, some stomach uh, issues kind of halfway through the year and, uh, had to give her a little bit of time. We actually gave her a month out in the field and then had to bring her back. And she finished the year uh, pretty strong. I mean, she got beat in the super final, but uh, she looked like she was really back to her old self in the Breeders' Crown. Just if she would have had a seam, she might have uh, might have been a little bit closer to the treacherous dragon that won. I love watching her race because when she's at her best, she's almost like a freight train coming down the stretch. I mean, she's just she's something to watch when she's really, you know, in top gear. So. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, yeah, definitely the most talented uh, horse I've ever worked with. Uh, really lucky to have been able to train her for the first uh, two years, and I'm hoping she comes back better this year. We gave her a, a really long vacation just to make sure everything's kind of back where it should be, and uh, I'm aiming to get her back to top form towards the end of summer. I'm going to have uh, Velvet Stinger and Silver Label there a little bit earlier. Uh, make sure we're in that uh, Ontario Sire Graduate Series. I don't know if you guys have seen the, I the did see that. For that. Yep. I think that's gonna that's gonna really benefit a lot of the four year olds training back in Ontario. It's, it's gonna give you a good place to start. So instead of me having to race these two fillies, you know, get them back into shape in the in the open against Need to Breathe and so much more and, and those type of fillies, at least we can start them uh, back with fillies of their own caliber. And I, I think that should really benefit them down the road towards the end of the year. And last, last one I'd like to ask you about is um, is a horse that I actually, I mean, I was interested in. It was pretty fascinating the night of the North American Cup. This horse goes faster than the actual North American Cup winner. I think uh, Powertrain went 40 and 2 that night. And he yeah. could have been racing. Obviously, you don't know. You didn't know how good he was going to be, I guess. Um, he wasn't paid up to the North American Cup, I believe. But that, that horse has some serious talent. His Powertrain, we haven't seen him since October. But again, he just shows flashes of, of, of brilliance. He's really talented. And um, I mean, like I said, if he was in the America, North America Cup that night, North America Cup, he, he might have been able to win that race. But just talk about, well, what's he up to? How's his progression? Um, we haven't seen him. Are we going to see him coming up this summer? Um, yeah, I'm hoping uh, he had an injury. Uh, uh, I guess it would have been super final night. Uh, she didn't come out of that, that race very well, so we had to give him a little bit of time. Uh, he's actually... Uh, He's uh, with Mike Bishop right now, just swimming back for the next month. I'm hoping to get him back into, you know, my barn uh, uh, sometime in March. And, you know, hopefully we get him back uh, for the summer. He obviously had all the tools, just, uh, you know, very, very uh, aggressive for something like Save the Last Dance. But mm -hmm. uh, he seemed like uh, towards halfway through the last year, he seemed like he was uh, racing better when he was off, when he was coming off a helmet. Where the year before, it seemed like... Uh, you know, when he when he won that night in 48 on uh, North American Cup night, he was doing all his best work on the front end. So hopefully we get uh, him back to have a level head and, uh, you know, hopefully get him back sound. And, uh, you know, he's got all the tools. I think we're just going to basically keep him to be an overnight horse. We didn't mm -hmm. even uh, have a stake sheet on him this year. Just you never know how they come back from any injuries that yeah. they have. So and now that he's five, I just don't see him being uh I mean, obviously, hope for it maybe as a six-year-old, but uh, it's a big step to get to the caliber uh, of the open pacers like Bulldog Hanover and Alleywag Hanover and those types. So as long as he can be a nice racehorse and be somewhere around the preferred, I would be very happy with him. And I have just one more story. Actually, I, I lied. One more question about horses. This is the horse that you actually started training up, and now he's won four out of his last five, I believe, is Backstreet Gambler. Kind of tell us about what, what it was like when you had him at in 2021, I mean, he was obviously showing a lot of breaks in his lines. He couldn't really stay flat. And now he's kind of seemed to put it all together. Mike Bishop's training him down, training him right now. And just kind of talk about what you saw in the horse and what you thought about his potential was in 2021 and what you see from him now. And if everything is kind of coming to light, what you, what you thought yeah, I'm about. I'm trying to get together all this. It seems like the last three years have just flown by. But, uh, yeah, 2021, that was when I had him when he was three and he was racing in the summer and making the break here or there. Uh, yeah, no, we, uh, well, actually I bought him as a yearling basically because he was the first, uh, crop of batting line. Uh, they all look really nice to the sale and, uh, 
he's a half brother to Backstreet Shadow. Yep. And uh, you know, we we all know how well of a racehorse he's been over the last three or four years. So I was hoping to get something along those lines. Just uh, he always seemed to have soundness issues that would hold him back, and I think that's why he uh, was making all those breaks when I was racing him at three. So after he made the last break, I had uh, an MRI done to him, and uh, he had some bone bruising in his back ankles. So we ended up taking the advice of the veterinarian and giving him eight months uh, off. And, uh, you know, Mike's done a great job training him uh, and swimming him and brought him back really slow. And, uh, you know, obviously he's uh, really responded well to what he's doing with him over there. Agreed. So my another question I'd like to ask you is, is do, do you feel – more pressure at that top level i mean it's one thing to be kind of grinding and claimers and overnights and things like that but when you're you're at the absolute top of the sport and you have some of the best horses and you know you're you're in there for 500 and going and you're one to five on the board i mean what does that does that feel is that a good pressure a bad pressure how do you feel about all that I mean, there obviously is a lot more pressure. I mean, for me, it's just I just don't want to do anything that's going to jeopardize the horses over time, right? So I feel like as I, if I get them there in the best shape that I can, uh, you know, the rest is up to the drivers at that point. But, you know, when it gets to this level, I find like, you know, when I had the claimers and uh, a lot of overnight horses, you have to be a lot more careful with the spending, um, you know, because it has to be profitable for your uh, partners and your clients. Or when you get to a level where, you know, you're racing for, hundred thousand dollars you know week in and week out you know you do the best you can by the horses right and that's kind of where where george would have been telling john in that interview that you know i'm not going to bring a horse to the races unless i'm 100 percent confident that i have the horse in top form and you know to that degree you do everything you can to, to benefit the horses and their longevity and uh that kind of takes uh, some of the pressure off i mean you always hope to do well but at the end of the day, I always feel like if I bring them there the best I can and they're fit and they're healthy and they're sound, then, you know, the rest is up to the horse and the drivers at that point. has to be awesome, though, having having that level of horse. And that, that gives you a reason to get up in the morning almost. And, and you know, even though you love what you do, just having the, having the big horse, I, I would uh, – I know – and I'm like a limited owner and, and you know, just having a horse that, that earns and does well, I mean, it, it, it keeps you excited. And I just feel like, uh, I don't know, to be at, at your level and to have those kind of horses to, to go to the barn to, that has to be pretty amazing. Yeah, it's a, you know, it's a very, very special feeling, you know, and you're always excited to see how they come back year to year and race to race. And the biggest thing is got to make sure they keep improving through the year. And if, and if they don't race well, you, you can't really just um, say that it's because they're, you know, they're just not the horses they were there's usually a reason why they're not performing and that's up to me to uh sort those issues out um but yeah definitely a very special feeling having uh you know high high level horses in the barn and uh yeah it makes the getting up and going to the barn a lot easier every day should we jump into some handicapping mike i think that's that's a great idea um it would be great to to get the thoughts here on looking at this saturday night card and and every night they have uh hundred thousand dollar guaranteed pick five there's been some big payoffs recently this this week sequence i found um a little bit difficult uh we'll start with the first race and that's saturday night's non-winners of one on the pace seventeen thousand dollar purse uh just a short field of eight here john where did you go in the first race first race to be honest i just went too deep i went with uh the captain's pick uh, I mean, he kind of Blake's agent just came up with a pretty, pretty big mile a mile that not many of us expected. I mean, if you watched the race before, he was just kind of locked in, but behind a couple of um, gapped horses and kind of just stayed on the rail. And then he makes a move and he's just opens up and wins by a lot. And Captain's pick came off a pretty good qualifier on the second raced okay last time, just couldn't get to the winner. And this other horse I'm going to use here is um, Delightful Kiss. That was a horse actually, he was. Uh, he was sitting behind, I think, a Hestinator for a horse for Carmen Osiello. He was gapping pretty bad. And um, Anthony Hahn just had no chance to get into the mile after that. And he kind of angled out in the lane. He was, I thought he was pacing pretty well. It was a little rough at times, but I thought he paced pretty well in the lane. So I'm going to go too deep in the first leg. I'm going to go with Delightful Kiss and, and Captain's Pick, the middle of the gate. Okay, Nick. So just real quick before you get into the first race, um, 
how do you view yourself as a, as a handicapper? Are you, are you, are you a guy that's, you know, your nose in the book constantly, you know, trying to figure out races, things like that. Especially in the downtime. I, you know, I, I follow the races pretty well every night they're racing. Um, I used to think of myself as a, you know, more keen handicapper, but you know, I get so busy racing and such that a lot of times I don't watch as many races, but in the winter time, I follow the races quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Where did you go on race one there? Um, well, actually, I thought uh, the five horse, like uh, John had said, raced really well last week. Uh, looked like they got whatever issues was going on in the qualifier sorted out uh, from October. Um, I went with him and the six horse. I didn't really, I didn't really notice uh, Anthony's Hans horse the week before, but I'll have to watch some replays of that. So I thought the five and six were the. Actually, you know what? I was going to throw the uh, the eight horse on as well. When he raced back in the maiden um, on January fifth, he uh, he impressed me the way he finished, and now he's back into that same class. He just looks like sometimes you have to be a little bit careful with him through the mile. But uh, second time with Sylvan and the bike, I'm sure uh, he would have gotten to know the horse the first time he drove him. I agree with a lot of you guys' thoughts here, um, but I think I'm going to single captain's pick only because I mean he. For him to come off that layoff and to be bet to six to five in that race, and an early move was made. Uh, actually, Philion's going to end up on this horse. I do have the final program here. Uh, oh, he's grab the five and um, made it sort of an early move, and then he, I don't know that he, that he kind of pulled himself up on the front because uh, Blake's agent ended up almost falling down trying to get around him around that turn, and then kind of put a couple lengths on him and and i felt like this horse raced pretty well to the wire there uh that was a fast race he's probably supposed to win this race second back with any sort of improvement uh so i'll be keying the five in the first race on saturday let's look at the second race here this is phillies and mares that have started for a purse of nine thousand and or less and one of the last four starts this is one of those kind of hybrid races that they're trying to bring some of these horses into uh nick what'd you think in the second race uh, I was just going to key the seven horse. She looked pretty deadly when she came off a of cover in uh, her last race. Uh, first start in a while for Richard Morrow. Um, there's a couple other ones in there that I thought might have a chance, but I just think the way the race is going to play out, I was going to single her. I want to ask you real quick. When when you're looking at some of these clamors and things, are you still in, in the game in the sense that, you know, oh, oh I, I think that, you know, maybe I might want to drop a claim here and there. I mean, what's what's your what's your thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, it definitely crossed my mind, but, uh, I'm so busy with the younger horses. It's not really, uh, an option for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I were to claim a horse, I would probably give it to, you know, a friend of mine to train, which I've thought about down the, uh, you know, in the past, uh, but we'll see how things play out. If I get really bored, I might end up doing that. <laughs> John, what do you think here in race number two? You know what? This is a really tough field. I think that you have to use a little bear cap because she just keeps fighting. I mean, she... When she gets that racetrack, she just battles. She wants to go buy horses. You can tell that. I used, I'm going to use Rockin' with Custard as well just because the horse. I mean, there's not too much speed in the race outside of the one and the six. I do think that the one was pretty – I mean, one bounced back last week. I'll probably use him, and he'll probably find himself on the front at some point. Maybe he'll quarter pull move. And uh, I'm going to go with my mother, Pearl. Uh, I mean, this horse fits in here. Didn't really – was a judge, judge's transportation scratch last time. I mean, if – if he's in a good spot, lady can pick them off. This isn't a really, this isn't a, a tough group at all. So I'm going to go with um, seven, four, and the one. Yeah, how about little Bearcat with the, this horse? She's really turned into something. I mean, at the end of last year, the light just kind of went on, and she, you know, ripped off a bunch in a row, and then she's come here and and just kind of continued that with those big rallies. And it's tough to win from far back at this racetrack. You don't see that all the time, and she's done it consistently. She did get a perfect trip though in that last race, and but the thing is, is when she kicks off cover, she's you know definitely flying forward. Really, it seems like she wants to win. I do like her. I, I think you can use a few others though. This is a tough race. Uh, Born a Dragon. I thought that was that horse's best race in a while last time. Uh, off the drop, they, these are similar horses, and you never know when these Cullen horses are going to wake up. I, I feel like that that horse needs to be used. Uh, Charmbro Bree, the three horse, has been racing at upper levels at London and racing well from off the pace. Uh, doesn't really win a whole lot, but she, you know, she has thirteen lifetime wins, and she could trip out. I, I feel like that, and she's going to be ignored on the board. And then the six, Mock My Kiss, uh, Tyler Jones back. 
this horse blasted from the rail in that January 20th race and, and was involved in that early pace. And they went quick early. Uh, she still kind of hung around for a check. And like, like John said, not a ton of speed in this race. She could trip out and, uh, you know, occasionally she can get a win at a price. So I was two, three, six, seven in race number two. The third race, another non-winners of one here and uh, on, on the pace. John, where did, where'd you go in this race? Well, you know, last week I did single better hold on tight last week, even from the nine hole. I, the, the horse, this horse has some talent, just always breaks. That's the only problem. And he'll throw in a good race and then I'll throw in a bad race. So obviously I'm going to go back to him again. I am weary because I know that he's capable just because he put forth a great effort last week. I am weary that he is capable of running again. So I did go with better hold on tight. I thought that was a, a superb effort. Actually, he looked great on the score down last uh, last week. That's what really caught my eye too. And I also went with um, Edge of the World. Edge of the World was another horse that was kind of stuck behind that gapper that I spoke to you about, Hestinator. Uh, he kind of made a move and then stayed on the rail. And it looked like he was going to angle out on the stretch drive, but he broke. So we couldn't. He, he broke at the top of the lane, so we couldn't really get to see what he was capable of. And I'm also going to go with Head Honcho. And this horse has a couple wins at the B tracks with his lone loss coming at the, starting from the second tier. You got James McDonald and Sean Stacy. This horse does have a couple wins in a field that is winless, uh, except for all, all, everyone except for the eights got a, doesn't have a win. So I'm going to go with those two. I'm going to go with the one. Better hold on tight. I'm going to go with um, Oops of the World. I'm going to go with Head Honcho. Okay, so while we're we're talking here, this with better hold on tight, and you can see the horse has had wide posts and things. What's your thought on him now moving to the rail here? So because not exactly the easiest post either. Well, it's not the easiest post, but he doesn't. But the horse doesn't have much. I mean, the horse doesn't really have gate speed. You don't want to get aggressive with this horse off the gate anyway. So I mean, he's not going to get away ninth like he has the last couple starts. He's drawn the outside. It's just a matter of if he can stay. Flat. I mean, James looked like he was going to get there with him on December 22nd. He looked like he was he was ready to win, and then he just he ran, right? That's mm-hmm. the problem. But you just know he's not going to get away as poorly as he as he has. I mean, you can see all those outside posts. He's getting away, I mean, close to last every week. So the, the rail is tricky. Um, I'm just going to trust that Tyler can hopefully keep this guy going. Okay, Nick, let's go to you. But I do want to ask you while, while we're talking about this, especially with young horses and things, where are you are you one to in the paddock say, you know, to the driver, okay, listen, you know, this this horse doesn't, you know, get around that first turn well and things like that. I'm sure that those are kind of tips that you're you're uh stressing prior to going out there. Yeah, I mean, luckily, uh you know, I'm very lucky to have James uh, drive most of my horses. So generally he knows my horses really well, but if there was like a new driver on the horse, I would definitely uh, you know, side them on the edge of caution if there was uh any issues to to be had with uh, the horses. Or anything mm-hmm. they needed to know. What? Uh, where were you at here in race number three? Um, well, I was going to agree with John on uh, the one horse. Actually, I, I watched that replay uh, uh, after the race, his last race, and Tyler looked like he had a pretty strong hold on him at the wire. And I noticed that the uh, he did not pop the earplugs on him. I don't know if that was one of the causes why he would make a break late in the mile for for James, but he just looked like he was really comfortable with Tyler driving him and. Uh, I see he won his qualifier for him as well. Yep. And he um, was, yep. And the other horse, you know, actually just listening to what John had said, I'd, I'd probably throw the seven in as well. Looks like he's got the form to be able to compete, you know, really well with this bunch. I'd say one seven in that race for myself. Yeah. I'm in total agreement. If you, if you watch that race, uh, that's, that's definitely an, an interesting race. Uh, the January 20th race one, and you talk about the better hold on tight. This horse really made a massive move on the turn. I mean, just was coming three to their one and then sort of got to the middle of the stretch and flattened out and then kind of dug in again to end up getting third. Uh, like like John said, obvious obvious talent on this horse. He just sort of needs a trip. And he might have found a, a bunch that, that uh, you know, he probably should be able to beat if everything goes the way it's supposed to go. And, and then I think you need to use head honcho. He's won two out of three at Flamborough. That horse is being bet every time over there. You have top connections and, uh, you know, find another finds a field that sort of is trying to find themselves. So I was one seven also in race number three. Let's go to race number four, five-year-olds and younger non-winners of two. I felt like another tough race. Uh, Nick, what did you like here? Um, the horse that I would say would be my top pick would be the four horse, uh, Barrett Hanover. Uh, McNair's, they always bring the horses ready when they come to race. 
Uh, I was really impressed with his first two lifetime starts and his qualifiers. Something must have been a ray in that uh, December 2nd start. Uh, he just didn't look like himself. And then I saw they gave him a little bit of a break. Uh, it looks like he came back. He qualified, uh, you know, pretty reasonable. I assume, uh, you know, going from Chris Matthews to Doug McNair uh, is going to help the horse out substantially in a r- race situation. I was going to use the four and the three just because the three looked uh, looked like he won under wraps in that last start for Anthony driving and uh, has James this week. Just look at like he's going to get himself in a good spot and be very competitive. Yeah, I agree with you here. I think it's the three and the four. Uh, pretty, they're they're going to be tough to beat. John, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm in agreement with you guys. I mean, Barrett Hanover, obviously, lots of talent, and uh, Nick's right. I mean, the fact that he hasn't raced since December second. I mean, he he moves up to the non-winners of two can, uh, class, and then he throws in a big clunker. He hasn't raced since then, so clearly something was up. They qualify him, and now McNair's obviously going to add a handful of lengths, and the, the horse is capable in here. Uh, the four, the three I'm going to use as well. I mean, he just stayed on the rail and then came off of it. And Anthony was an easy winner. I mean, he just once he got room, he was just able to go by a couple of tired horses. Um, got got the easiest of trips, but again, he seems to like the big track better. And uh, you know, when you get James, it's always an upgrade. The horse that I'm still I'm stubborn enough to believe that he's the most talented in the field is Profundo. Yeah. But the thing is, is like I I honestly personally think he's the most talented horse in this field. I just don't. I mean, you're not. You're going from non-runners one, non-runners two. It took him how many tries to win at that at that maiden class, Mike? And how many times was I frustrated because I thought that this horse should have won numerous times, and uh, he finally got it done at one to five. But I don't. I'm not going to use him just because I, I don't envision him getting an aggressive drive or being put in play to, to win this race. Though I do think that he's the most talented here. I do think he's more talented than Barrett Hanover. Some people think I'm crazy, but I guess I mean we'll see. I guess what time will tell. So, Nick, I have to tell you that we have a group chat, John, uh, Ryan Willis. I'm not sure if you know him, but. Yeah, I've heard of him. Yeah. You know, so. Um, and, He's and pretty th- opinionated from what I hear. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, the three of us talk a lot. Well, we, we talk more about Profundo than we do Bulldog Hanover. Uh, yeah. Just <laughs> because John absolutely loves this horse. And uh, it's just. Uh, hilarious and and i was very curious i couldn't wait to to see what he was going to say because that night that he won um you know then he just hasn't been seen since so you have a a couple months off here uh since his last start obvious talent but again is he going to have to make up 20 in the stretch uh to get anything uh just a few other observations i i I thought procrastinator was really excellent off the layoff even though that field was probably not any better than this one to be honest it might have been even worse than this one. So I feel like this is even a little bit of a tougher spot than that one was. And then Barrett Hanover, uh, you would have thought this horse was almost a second coming off his first two races. I mean, he was getting a ton of buzz. I know that Robert Reed really liked this horse um, you know, off those two starts. And, and he's another one that sort of vanished. So I feel like Procrastinator is the one to beat. Barrett Hanover, a puncher's chance. Profundo, who knows? Uh, well, let's move on. We'll go to race five. Phillies and Mares now wears a 12,000 last five. Uh, this is uh, sort of like that mid-level Mares. Lots of horses dropping, kind of stepping in. John, where'd you go here to get paid? You know what? I was I was going to go too deep here, but the more I thought about it, I'm just going to single the one. I mean, I loved watching this horse race in Indiana at Hoosier, and then they went and bought her at the, at the mixed sale. Sorry, they went and, yeah, they went and bought her at the mixed sale, and then right away she gets thrown into the Philly and Mare preferred here. That's all she's ever – she's only raced there ever since. I mean, she she's put forth some great efforts. Um, but obviously, the need to breathe emerges. It's just a, it, was, it was too tough of a bunch for her to beat. So I am just going to be boring and just single the the class dropper. I mean, obviously, she fits the condition. Non-winners of two races over, her last, over the last seven starts. She's in. It's a soft bunch. The other horse that obviously I was super impressed with last week was Parisian Blue Chip. I mean, I thought she was just flying home, uh, turning for home. I mean, she, Scott Young had her at the back, and she was just coming home. It was a really good effort from her last week. Um, and, but I just, I just think that's going to be tough. I mean, this is just such a different caliber of group than what JK's rolling baby was facing at the Billy and Mary preferred level. Nick, what say you here? Um, well, I agree with John on JK's rolling baby. I think she's going to really appreciate the, the class drop. Uh, she really impressed me that second start she had up here where she was second to Vols to light. And then she just never really repeated that effort. But I think dropping down to the numbers of 12,000 last five is going to really benefit her. 
the other horse I was going to use, I'm just looking at her lines now, but I just think Louis Waugh really gets along well with setting a precedent. I was just yep. going to throw her on kind of as a bomb um, in uh, the last leg of the uh, of the pick five. Uh, the one horse in there that, that does look pretty dangerous to me is uh, Twinby Tipster. She raised really well last week off of a break. I don't really like the class like, though. Yep, agreed. Yeah, this is a tough race. I thought uh, there's there's lots of different scenarios, but the 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 main thing in this race that that kind of turns it on its head is the, the presence of Major League because we know what she's going to do. She's yeah. she's going to go right. So and you know you're going to get a strong pace because she's in the race and and there are times that she forgets to stop. There are times that she cooks horses on the front end. There are times that she gets in the way. Uh, you, you just never know how the race is going to shape whenever she's in it because she, she tends to turn it on its head. So I think that you need closers in the race and that's going to help JK's rolling baby, but she's going to get a lot of action here off this drop. I mean, everybody's going to see, okay, she's in against need to breathe the barn dogs watching. And, and this is, you know, a, a much better spot and she's raced. Well, she's going to get a setup. Uh, I, I feel like you need a couple others though. And, and some prices and that's twin B Sunkissed, I think is another one. Maybe, She's not quite this level right now, but you know she's going to get an off-the-pace trip. And if you look back in December, like December 17th, she got an off-the-pace trip at 24-1, to 1, and she was in against setting a precedent that night. She had won the start before that from off-the-pace. So I feel like that she's kind of hidden. You get a different driver here, and, and she could end up being live late. And then I, I agree on setting a precedent. This is the kind of race that she wants. She wants a race that's filled with speed, I really didn't feel like she had much of a chance the way she was driven last time. I do like the driver switch, like Nick said. When she's off of it and she has that big kick, I think she has a big chance. So I'm one two seven to finish. Uh, let's cap our tickets, John. Uh, where did, can uh, give us your pick five there? So it's going to be four five until one four seven until a one. Sorry, one three seven. Mm-hmm. Three, four, and then just the one. Take the math on that, but it looks like thirty-six for a buck to me, to my eye. Yeah, Nick. Um, I usually go like I'll I'll change it multiple times before uh, I actually put my pick fives in. I usually get knocked out in the first leg, so I don't think anybody <laughs> has to worry. But uh, the first leg, I went five, six, eight. Uh, I was going to key Little Bearcat in the second race, but that could easily change. Um, mm-hmm. And then I had the one and seven in the third race, three, four in the fourth race, and then one, seven, nine in the fifth race. All right. And that looks very similar. 36 for a buck. Uh, mine's a little more pricey. I'm going to key the five in the first race. Then the two, three, six, seven were definitely different, I think, in the, the, the uh, second leg. One, seven, three, four in those third and fourth races. And then the one, two, seven to finish. Uh, nine, 60 for 20 cents, uh, 48 for a dollar. Okay, so let's go and finish up here with the 12th race. And this is the mandatory payout high five. Normally we talk about the feature race, but we're going to spend our time here on this big carryover, 187,000 of dead money in the pot. These pools tend to usually end up a couple million dollars when they have these mandatory payouts here. Race 12, 12 horses. John, what uh, was your thoughts here on a numbers of 6,000 last five pace to finish the card? Well, I mean, obviously now you're, starting with 12 horses, so it's going to be tough. So you want to try and get yourself – obviously, you want to get yourself a spot off the gate quickly because you could be hung out there for a long time with the with the two second-tier starters now. Obviously, everybody's going to be gravitating towards Rock Me, Roll Me, which is fair. I mean, the last time he was dropped down as low at this level was Breeders' Crown Weekend, and he got the job done. Obviously, there's no American histories in here. There's no Salzburg victors in here who was uh, – I mean, now you see what he's doing in the preferred. This should be his spot. Um, I've just – I've never – had success uh playing this horse actually i have a couple times but i've just never really had a great deal of success but i do think if they do mix it up a little bit i am a bit biased i thought his efforts the last few starts were great i think i'm just gonna stick with dr joe and root for chaos and hope that he can pick them all off late 
and then I'm going to probably play around him. And uh, like I said, you want to be in a, you want to try and get a seat early because if you don't, you're going to be with 12 horses. You're going to be hung out there the whole mile. I'm just going to hope that there's enough action that Dr. Joe can, can pick them off late. And then I'll try and try and figure out what to do underneath. So tell me, since you like Dr. Joe, how, how do you rate that pop-up series that he was in versus kind of this class that he's in now? I know you like the horse and you like, you loved him last week and, and he got, he got his trip and he got it done. Uh, in a 51 or one mile. So that's a fast race coming into these horses. How do, how do you feel like he stacks up class-wise here? Well, class or not, he's, he's still got a, he's still got a late kick. And um, I mean, this isn't like a group full of killers by any means, right? It just, if, if you're in the right spot, you're in the right time. I mean, shadow of red, I thought, I mean, that horse used to be racing against better horses. I wouldn't be surprised if that horse came up and improved, but I mean, I didn't really I wasn't in love with the effort last week. I thought he got a perfect trip and he just he just got it done to hold off a no better Joe who actually raced much better than I anticipated. It's just not a group that like I said, not a group full of killers and it's just gonna come down to trip in my opinion. I think that Dr. Joe you know that he's not gonna be used early and you know that he's not gonna be the one who will eventually fade in the mile. So I do think that if he's in a good spot, it doesn't matter where he is, if he's second, third or fourth over, he he can kick home. There's a couple others I mean here who have we show late speed too. roll with flow. I thought should have got the job done last time though, but even though commanding officer was great, got a perfect setup, probably should have finished off the mile a little bit better, but uh, he didn't. And I'm just, I'm just going to side and hope for these races typically have movement just because of the amount of horses. And I'm just going to hope that he can pick them all off late. That's all. Mm -hmm. Does the 12 horses concern you though, being that he's typically 10, 12, 14 lengths off, off the pace. The ideal perception? No, the the doctor. The, oh, just oh, doctor. That, yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, it's kind of, but I do think that he's going to get a good spot on to be in the flow. Mm -hmm. Nick, what's your thoughts here? Especially talk about the the twelve horse fields and the the second tier and things like that. In favor, not in favor. What do you feel about uh, races with more than ten? Well, I mean, when they were writing 12 races for the Sire Stakes, I wasn't really in favor of that because I think in those situations you should give, uh, especially younger horses, a chance to have their nose on the gate and give the owners a chance to recoup some of their money. But in a case like this, you know, it's a, it's a bigger purse, um, big payout, uh, you know, for the handicappers. I, I, I think it's beneficial overall for the sport to have uh, bigger fields uh, in a in a, in a high five payout race such as this race this is a question mike do you remember the horse that won the first time they ever did a payout like this mm. the first i can't time. remember because it was my horse it was the first <laughs> time they ever built it and then they paid um, it out at one time i i'm and not thinking of it this second 2014 uh drain daddy oh, paid, i would uh, never have come up with that one just under fifty thousand dollars it was uh that was probably my biggest race up until that point. That's the only reason I, I really recall did it. Did you have it? That's what I want to know. Uh, I did, yeah, but for a very small amount. And, uh -huh. uh, you know, you always look back. It's ne and gamblers know that. It's never enough if you if you win a game, if you win a bet. It's always like, oh, I should have done this differently. What was, what was the horse's name again? Done that, that uh, differently. Uh, Drain Daddy. Oh, Drain Daddy. Jody Jamison quarter pulled him to the front in the half. And, uh, you know, it was pretty – I, I was pretty vocal down the lane. It was a very exciting race. But, uh, yeah, it was uh, very exciting. But, yeah, no, I, I love these payout races. I always try to handicap them if I can. So what did you think in this race? Like, where were you uh, – where were your eyes, you know, finding themselves? To me, the horse with the best form, obviously, is Dr. Joe. I just don't know how with the 12-horse field how it's going to play out for him uh, trip-wise. Um, I was pretty impressed with uh, Roll with the Flow's last race. Um, the four horses that I think uh, are going to have the best chance, in my opinion, is uh, the 2, 3, 6, and 12. Um, uh, more so, I'm leaning towards the 6, uh, being my, a horse I'm going to key for first and second, and then kind of play around it at, at that point. Looks like the 2 and 6 to me are probably the, the top caliber, and then use the other ones underneath. But I still have a lot of uh, homework to do on this race before I can really give uh, – uh, a ticket out on it but uh, mm -hmm. to me it seems like the two and six are the the class of the field Hundred sixty-seven thousand rolls of flow made last last year um 
he's coming back to back weeks at, at Mohawk. I always find that first start coming from a small track. So a lot of times they need to stretch out. You see that a lot of the Meadowlands as well. When horses coming from Yonkers to the bigger track, they usually don't fire the first week, but then the second week they're usually a, a touch better. That's mm-hmm. kind of how I would uh, lean towards that horse being this week, just a touch better than he was last week. I thought that uh, he was good last week. He he ended up second over, and um, and and everyone was coming. That was just a mad scramble that last race, and and I know John was rooting for a couple in there, and and um, you know the the thing that I liked about him was that even though he got the perfect trip when commanding officer kind of went by him he he dug in and there was no like he was a no doubt second in there so i felt like that uh you know even when he got past and we know commanding officer when he's at his best he can race in the preferred i mean he's he's that good of horse and i felt like the the good commanding officer showed up considering where he was in that race and kind of came over the top but I feel like Roll of the Flow was very good. And look look how sharp he is. I mean, he's racing very well at London, right on the wire every week against the top level. So I, I do feel like that he's he's definitely in play here. McNair sticks. I'm sure he could have found his way to other ones in the race also. Uh, rock me, roll me. You, you get J-Mac back, right? He hasn't seen this horse for quite a while. Look at the last two times he, he was driven by them. I mean, he was right there against better horses. He's going to be betting the race. I would imagine he's going to be sub two to one. He's going to be a horse that everybody kind of keys around. And he's the key to the race. Uh, if if he races well, the payout's probably going to be a lot less. If he doesn't race well and he doesn't get on the board, this ticket could be anything and it, and it could explode. Uh, I agree on the three. I thought Flash Cube was very good, lacked room for much of the stretch. And when he found room, he was going forward uh, there on Saturday night, that last race. Dr. Joe's sort of iffy for me. He's never been a horse that I've really liked that much. I feel like that this is a step up for him. He needs everything to kind of go his way, even though he's had tough trips recently and he was good in that pop-up. He kind of has to prove it to me. So I know John likes him and I, and I respect John. Anytime John gives me a horse, I'm, you know, I'm going to use him more than, than not. So I feel like that he needs to find a way onto the ticket. The 11 and 12 intrigue me too. Century Hannibal, Raced pretty well first up last time against these horses. You get a different driver. You get an inside post. Does he need a trip? I, I do think he kind of does need a trip, but he could find his way onto the ticket. And then ideal perception really had absolutely no chance last time. Uh, and he was firing late too from the nine hole. I feel like that he lacks some room. He, he's got to get a little bit of a better trip than he did last time. So I would use those horses. So key around the two and the six. I agree on those horses. Using the three, the four, the eleven, and the twelve, and then you you gotta have to figure it out. Anything could be third, fourth, fifth. Uh, try to get some prices. It's I think feel like this is a hard race to set up. It's hard to kind of feel like who's going to be on the front, how it's going to go. A lot of these horses need flow to win. Uh, this is a good race. I think it's going to produce a, a big payout. So, John, any any final thoughts on this high five? Uh, no, I don't have a super strong opinion here because I think it could go a variety of ways. But, uh, I mean, if you, if you like one, I mean, just play around. I'm not really the best at handicapping these and putting together ticket structures. Um, I've been able to find winners in the past at just putting it together. Uh, but I mean, they're always, a, it's always a great wager, especially when it's a force out, but we don't really have any, nothing else to really add to the race. Okay. Nick, any final thoughts on the high five? Um, yeah, I just it, the toughest thing for these races is trying to figure out the way the race is going to play out, and uh, I'm really having a hard time with how this race is going to go. It seems like the the six doesn't have a lot of speed. The two horse, you know, he used to have a lot of early speed, and he doesn't seem like he's been using using that uh, uh, tool lately. So it's it's going to be based on trip, I think, and. Uh, I don't see a lot of early speed in the race, so I'm not really sure how it's going to play out that way. Yeah, really tough race. Uh, get in. I mean, get, if if you're playing, you know, it's that last race. It'll probably go off on midnight on Saturday. That's when it typically ends up because they give it about a 20 minute drag on this. You got 187 thousand in dead money, hundred thousand dollars guaranteed. Pick four. I feel like this was a good show. We, we definitely appreciate Nick from com- for coming on and, and giving us handicapping thoughts, giving us trainer thoughts. 
I would love to have you again if if you would come and and uh, hopefully whenever I'm up there I can and run into you and and uh, we can buy your beer. Yeah, absolutely, Mike. Anytime you guys uh, want to talk, as long as it's not you know coming into steak season, I'm usually pretty free in the afternoon. So you know, I really enjoyed this and uh, appreciate you guys having me on the show. Just just want to say thanks again, Nick. And Nick is exactly what you hear from him. He's he's a stand up individual. Honestly, I mean, I remember. First time I met him at Mohawk, I was literally just out on the grandstand with a beer and he was right next to me and we just started talking. And ever since then, we've kind of kept in touch a little bit and um, always gracious and always kind whenever he sees me at the races. And um, yeah, I just want to say, Nick, I appreciate, you know, because I think it's, I think Nick understands the importance of engaging, especially with a, a younger demographic. And he was, you know, some guys say that they care about the fans and whatnot, but Nick is, is truly one of those stand-up individuals. He he really does care about the game and he cares about people who are interested. And I think he saw my interest in the game and was always uh, was always excited to chat with me. And he didn't need to take as much time as he did sometimes, but I really did appreciate all the times that you, uh, you took the time to speak with me about some of your horses or about just other stuff, even non-racing related. It was uh, really appreciative, Nick. I know it's always great talking to you, John. And yeah, like that first time we met in the grandstand, uh, yeah, you just, you know, like you said, it's, it's really nice getting a younger demographic into, you know, being interested in just watching the races and, uh, hopefully, uh, you know, with these shows and, and everything else moving forward, especially with you, John, I think you be able to introduce a lot of uh, younger fans of the sport. And as we all know, it's, it's, it's very exciting to watch the races and the, you know, the more interest people get, you know, the better they are going to be at handicapping and who knows, it could carry the sport a lot forward into future years. And uh, yeah, that's exactly it. It's I think you want people at the forefront to help those people and educate them on becoming better handicappers and better and just become more uh, astute betters too. Right. That's, and that's yeah. how you're going to help grow the game is having people understand it. So you want to have the right people in position to be able to teach. Those yeah, and there's, and there's different tools that, that we can use now, especially with social media and, you know, even podcasts. Like, you're going to be able to, to introduce this to a lot of uh, different people that probably, you know, they wouldn't know that there's a $200,000 almost of dead money waiting to be given out on Saturday. You know, like some people might throw a couple bucks in and have a little bit of fun. And I think that's, you know, one of the benefits of, you know, having this payout is if, if people were to better understand, um, you know, what was being given to them, I think you'd have a lot more people interested in betting on it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we're going to wrap. Go to nahupix.com for lots of great racing this weekend. Woodbine Mohawk, we got John doing Meadowlands Friday and Saturday. Tell you, somebody that's been hot at Meadowlands, oh man, I mean, we we killed him last Saturday. Uh, You know, he's he's putting the work in. So, and, and it's all for free. I got my Woodbine Mohawk picks. Uh, Rod has picks from Western Fair. Uh, we have Century Downs, Murray Slaw. He's one of the top guys out there. Uh, Jeff's going to do some picks on Sunday for Meadowlands for us. Meadows during the week. So uh, Rose Cross back. We have all these tracks in one place. Go there. Go to InTheMoneyPodcast.com if you want thoroughbred picks. Uh, lots of great podcasts there. So we'll talk to you next time. First over, without S and Hannah, we got Mikey P, John Rollis, Uh, Thanks to Nick. See you next time.